0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time, launches it to the end
2: zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams. It goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He puts uh, Oh, he's the
0: Red Raider the up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first. Hello, and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. We are a show that is trying to watch the World Cup early on Sunday. Here with me, as usual, is Mike Craven. Mike, man, how are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. There was only one night game last night, so, you know, I was in bed by 1030. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs>
0: And uh, as always with us as well is Mallory Hartley. Mallory, how are you? Good. The
2: state went eight and three this week, so I'd say it's a pretty successful week for the state of Texas in the college football world.
0: Yeah, yeah there you go, there you go. Don't look at how some of those wins came; just look at the, win- yeah, that the wins.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Just>, yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and two of those, two of those losses were to other
0: in-state teams.
1: So right, you know, so it was really a pretty good a week
2: for us. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Pretty good week,
0: pretty good week. Uh, if I sound different, it's because I was very smart and I forgot my mic at the office. So, you know, uh, if I sound a little different, uh, that's apologies on my fault, on my part. But let's get into it. Um, we're just going to go with the game that Mike Craven was at and the one that everybody's talking about. TCU 29, Baylor 28, now tying ex- uh, t- Texas and A&M as the most played rivalry in the state. I mean, we can start at the obvious point, which is the wild scramble drill at the end to, for TCU to get the field goal off. Um, I mean, for TCU and Sunny Dykes to pull that off, I texted you, Mike. I said I think I love Sunny Dykes because the nonchalantness that they handled that entire final drive, and then for them to just the fact that they called like an inside zone. <laughs> third and seven with 17 seconds to go and they just seamlessly ran the field goal unit on there by the way i went back and watched it tail did not even square the ball like the kick you know kickers like walk up and do their little walk back he just ran to where he was gonna stand and kicked it like flawlessly executed tcu wins I mean, it, it seemed like everybody in McLean was there like an hour after just because they were like, wait, was that it? Like, it was, is <laughs> they that were the ready game? to storm the field. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were like, I mean, we'll talk about it, Craven. You know, what did you see when you were there? But yeah, it just felt like everybody there was like, wait, was that? Is it over?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I lost about 450 words of print, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I, I had I had most of it written up. You know, they're down eight. Um, they missed that two-point conversion that that was dropped basically there um, that was going to tie it so you know these games are always crazy we talked about in the pregame show you know the average margin of victory over the last four has been 6.25 it doesn't matter who's the good team who's the bad team on paper last year TCU uh, pulled the upset on Baylor who won the Big 12 championship in the Sugar Bowl so you know that's what rivalry games are that's what makes college football so crazy and do you all have you ever seen that gif where like Diddy's looking at somebody on like, I don't know, Dancing with the Stars or some game show and they're like yeah. staring at each other for like five <laughs> yeah. seconds? When yeah. We asked Sonny Dykes after the game about like, was that the plan? And he was like, yeah, we practice that every Thursday. That's what we like to do. And those last second field goals, I stared at Sonny Dykes in that exact same way, <laughs> you know, of like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true, but they call it their bazooka field goal unit. Uh, David Randa even said in the press conference afterwards that that's something every team practices Baylor practices as well. Um, it seemed like they were more worried about where they got the ball on the field. They wanted it towards the right hash mark. Um, mm-hmm. So he could pull it a little bit. Um, so I guess he's got a natural draw, you know, Griffin Cale does. And so mm-hmm. uh, they were more worried about the position of the ball than the time they thought they had enough time. Uh, It was a weird it was a weird set, though, right? Because they run the ball on first down, they spike it on second down, and then they run it again on third down. You would think first down, you get the ball to where you want it to go. You wait until the clock gets to three, then you spike it, then you take your time to run up on the field goal thing. But, you know, especially because Kel had missed an extra point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: you know, that's the thing is like he's the hero now. But we were all going to talk about how TCU lost their college football playoff possibility on an extra point miss. That's what this game was going to come down to uh, for him to be able to go out there and, and redeem himself and, and get that kick in that way uh, was awesome. You know, I, I made a joke on Twitter that I guess horn Frogs have nine lives because this, this TCU team every single week, they're five and zero when they're trailing in the second half, they're the antithesis <laughs> of Texas, right? Like they yeah. play four quarters of football. They tend to play their second half better than the first half. And what's really impressive about this is that last quarter, they didn't have Quentin Johnston on the field. They didn't have Darius Davis on the field. And they didn't have Kendra Miller on the field. And they still mm-hmm. went 60 yards and 90 seconds or whatever to get into field goal uh, you know, position and tie that game. So hats off to Max Duggan, who's clearly not 100%. This TCU team's off week was week three. You know, so they've been Mm -hmm. playing a lot of football. They are beat up. They were dealing with the flu. They've had a lot of stuff going on, like everybody in college football does. But it's a battle of attrition, and so far, TCU's kind of stood the test of time.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I noticed definitely in this game was TCU did not play, in my opinion, well for 80% of this game, right? Like, they didn't run the ball really well. Tay Barber was kind of all they had except that one drive from from Gunnar Henderson uh where he was kind of the, the the go-to guy and they were I don't know it looked like they were waiting for that I mean obviously with Quinton Johnson out you know they didn't have that big play but it was just like you could tell they were like prodding Baylor to like try and set something up or try and get it going and it just never happened and then you look up and they're still in it and we can talk about why that is in a bit with Baylor but yeah this team just feels like I mean you know the big question was was November sunny right when when the month started was like is this a guy who gets kind of found out as the season goes along and even if he's quote-unquote more found out than he was the year the earlier in the season like they're still winning man and they're just getting it done and I saw some people saying you know literally up until the kick like well this team's out you know we're, we're done we're gonna get Tennessee back in the playoff or whatever and you know this it was fun for TCU and they're still here and it, it's it's wild how and I think I think that's honestly at this point in the season I think that's what is kind of keeping this team going is knowing that they're still there right like it's not I wonder I don't. I hate to you know psychoanalyze players like this, but I wonder if maybe if they weren't if they had one loss, right? If they say lost the Oklahoma State game or something, that if they really do pull this out, because you're in the Big tall title game already, you're kind of you know you kind of do. I wonder if there's that, that extra gear knowing that no 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 no, we can make the college football playoff now, right? And I wonder if that's just enough to give them a little bit of adrenaline boost late in games, especially this game.
1: I mean, I think it has to be, right? I mean, you're down two with 90 seconds to go, and you're not just playing yeah. to win a rivalry game on the road or to win a conference right. championship. I mean, you're you're literally playing to be the first team in the state of Texas to ever make a college football playoff. Um, to be a TCU team that does that after going five and seven and losing its 20-year tenured head coach the year before would be insane. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you look up in your TCU and you got a home game against Iowa State, an Iowa State team that doesn't have a lot to play for, that just lost last night. Uh, And then you get a basically a home game in Arlington against either Kansas state or Texas, a team that you've already beat. And I, you know, to your point ish, I think one of the things that's keeping them going is that every single week people talk about how they don't belong to be there.
0: True. True. You
1: know, this isn't a team that's like hanging on to a college football spot and has like all this to play for and all these expectations, kind of like what looked to happen to Tennessee yesterday or something. Um, This is a team that nobody believes should be there. You know, you look on social media, you look on this, you know, the pregame shows, you you look at all that all the noise around, um, and nobody thinks that they should be there. And you you asked Sonny about it yesterday, and he's like, well, I don't think they believe what they're saying fifty percent of the time, and we don't care. And and I, mm-hmm. I I think the coaching staff probably doesn't, but I think it's human nature if you're a player to be like, man, we're undefeated, and we're only a two and a half point favorite against a four loss Baylor team. Yeah. You know, like, you know, and so oh, I, the
0: underdog last week against Texas.
1: Yeah. Underdog, seven points against a Texas team that, that can't get out of its own way. And so I, I think that has to be added motivation that like, hey, we're playing really well and nobody believes in us. And, and uh, on the flip side, now I was just looking at it for Baylor. You know, Baylor, that was a Baylor football game yesterday. Right. I mean, they ran the ball 46 times, 232 yards. They scored three touchdowns. Jeff Grimes was in his back. Like th- some of those plays, uh, the wide zone, the counter stuff was awesome. Um, But you look at Baylor and you know, they're now two and three in one possession games. Mm -hmm. Last year, they were four and one. And that, you know, that's the difference between having a really good season and being in big 12 contention uh, and having a disappointing season and being left out of it. And so um, it's fine margins. But right now, TCU is winning those coin flip games that are coming down to a play or two and and Baylor hasn't as well as they did last year. And it, it might be the difference between one team winning the big 12 in 2021 and the other team winning the big 12 in 2022.
0: Yep. Uh, last thing on TCU before we get to Baylor. Um, I saw some people speculating that Baylor and Dave Aranda kind of messed up the last play because they were like, oh, they should have slow subbed, right? As, as TCU brought on the unit, they probably should have said, they probably should have drifted, drifted one guy out there while the ref's holding the ball, whatever, and, and drained the clock. Somebody did bring up the rule book afterwards. The refs handled that perfectly. Um, I'm reading from it right here. Team B should reasonably expect that Team A will attempt a field goal in this situation. This situation being fourth down. Um and should have its field goal defense unit ready. The umpire will not stand over the ball as there should be no issue of the defense being uncertain about the next play. So, you know, obviously when an offense the offense makes a sub, that's an adjustment that the defense can't account for normally, so the ref gets it gives them a chance to sub. On fourth down that that goes away. You should expect them to to kick a field goal basically in this situation so the for people speculating like oh the refs messed that up or baylor messed that up they played it perfectly um that wasn't uh yeah and
1: but, aranda addressed that after the game i mean somebody asked yeah. him that and he was like yeah we're not allowed to do that so yeah you know
0: yeah it's it's one of those it's one of those weird rules that like there's a, there is a rule for every scenario and people just like oh there it is right there like in between the lines um anyway <sighs> i do want to talk about baylor a little bit <sighs> you mentioned jeff grimes and i thought yes absolutely in his bag i thought he schemed a hell of a run game i thought he schemed the pass game really really well i have a question for you is blake shapen a better quarterback than he was at the start of the season
1: no um but i don't know if that's on coaching or even on shapen i don't know who he's supposed to throw the ball to you know, like when you when you have the, you know, eagle eye view of the press box, you get an all-22 view. And mm-hmm. Baylor doesn't have guys that get open. They don't have Quentin Johnston. They don't have Darius mm-hmm. Davis. They don't have Tay Barber. You know, their best wide receiver is Monterey Baldwin, who's a good player, uh, but he's better after the catch than he is before it. You know, they don't have somebody who demands double teams on the outside like a Quentin Johnston. They don't have a guy who's an excellent route runner like a Darius Davis. They just don't have that. And I think Blake Shapin's just a dude. You know, he's not mm-hmm. a superstar. Uh, but he has great arm talent. He made three or four throws yesterday that nobody else on the field was making, not even Max Duggan. Sure. And so, you know, the talent's there. The consistency is not, the decision-making sometimes is not. Uh, but I also think they're hindered by their weapons on the outside. And if I, you know, I, I think their best outside receiver is Josh Cameron, who's a walk-on from Cedar park. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, and so um, They're going to, you know, if there's a, you know, I'm sure after the season we'll kind of do a piece or, or a podcast on, you know, where does uh, where does each school need to hit the transfer portal the hardest? And mm-hmm. if you're Baylor, it's got to be wide receivers because you cannot go into 2022 with that same group of wide receivers if you're going to be successful. Sure, you want to run the football more than you throw it, but you have to be explosive. And they had that last year. They had yeah. guys like that last year with Tyquan Thornton, uh, but they don't. You know, there's no there's no RJ Snead here. There's no there's no Thornton here. They just don't have those guys. They're going to have to go find those dudes, especially on the outside. And I think that will help Shapen. but he's never going to be a guy who's 35 of 44 for 350 yards and four touchdowns. That's not what they ask him to do. And it's not who, the, who he is. Uh, I think he's a fine quarterback. I think he's a winning quarterback, but I think he's a guy who needs everything around him to be going really well. And mm-hmm. right now on the outside, it's just not, I mean, they have tight ends and they got slot receivers and that's about
0: it. I think you saw a lot of, Both the good and the bad, right? In the first half, mostly good, except for that uh, second half interception that was kind of the bad. And then obviously, the last, uh, his last throw or last play of the game, I should say, where he's had, there's what he's rolling out wide receivers kind of in the middle of coverage. And he could have, if he really needed to, he probably could have rifled the ball in there, decides to take the risk averse play, which kind of summarizes his his game overall like the risk averse play um and and keeps in is short of the first down so you kind of saw both um and I think overall not to put the game on him but I think overall the limit the limits the limits of this offense not just necessarily Blake Shaping but the limits of this offense and the playmakers on this offense is kind of what kept Baylor or TCU in the game rather all right moving on to uh one of our other games of the week um Tulane, 59, SMU, 24. Um, Listen, this is what happens when you don't have an offense that can score 77 every time. (laughs) Um, This was an old-school Willie Fritz-style game where they just ran the damn ball down their throat, and (laughs) SMU's defense isn't very good. Um, We knew that, and in a way, I'm kind of like shrugging because – I don't know. To me, SMU season's done. Like, they, they got the bowl. They got the, you know, we kind of know what they are. They're a bad defense. They're a good offense. And, I uh, mean, I don't know. I didn't expect this. But, yeah, I don't know, man. Tulane still has a lot to play for in SMU. I don't say they don't have anything to play for. But their 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 goal is tapped out to me for right now.
1: I mean, they give up a lot of points. You know, the only teams that they've held under 27 points this year, are North Texas and Lamar. You know, that was back in week one, week zero, or week one and week two. So, you know, they, they give up a lot of points. Um, they're expected to score a lot of points. And it's one of those things where you can't turn the ball over five times when you have a bad yeah. defense. Sure, you know, like sure. you just, that's just not going to work. You know, like like what we we're talking about with Blake Shapin. you know, yeah. there's sometimes where you have to be risk adverse. Like you have to know what's on the other side of the field and that if you give away two free possessions, you're going to lose that game, much less five. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Tul- Tulane scored what, 57 or 59 points? They ran 56 plays. Yeah, it was that. nuts. You know, like they only it was, had to throw the-
0: 59-24 was not it was 49 to 7 at one point. It was not yeah. even that close. Like right.
1: <laughs> and you know, if Tulane wanted to be mean, they probably could have scored 70 plus. They probably could have put the 77 back on SMU. You know, that's how bad that defense was. That was the worst performance of the year. It did look like a team in SMU that achieved its goal the week before and maybe mm-hmm. had a little bit of of a mental breakdown there on a short week going in, you know, a road game on New, you know, Thursday in New Orleans. That that can be mm-hmm. that can be a little tricky in and of itself as well um you know um and so it just feels like one of those games where there was a little bit of a let off of gas and then two lanes on the other side they're playing for an american conference championship like they still have everything mm-hmm. out in front of them especially after the ucf loss and so uh it just looked like one team that was really motivated and one, one team that wasn't and, and the team that was really motivated played a clean excellent game of football and, and smu did not and so uh, it's back to the drawing board but like you said i think they've accomplished what they want to accomplish this year it's about figuring out who those guys are going into the off season and now, like we talked about with Baylor and the wide receivers, it's very clear where SMU needs to improve before the start of the 2023 <laughs> season. And that is everywhere that you can possibly imagine on defense. I would I would think that there's only two or three spots that are locked up going into 2023. The rest are open for business. And so, you know, that's a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, a humbling loss for SMU mm-hmm. for sure. They were playing, they had been playing their best football of the year going into that sure. game. Mm-hmm. And then they got beat down like that. Um, and so we'll see what they're made of going into next week.
0: 313 on the ground, 7.6 yards per carry for a 2 So, like I said, old-style Willie Fritz uh, going back to Georgia's southern days, basically. All right, uh, moving on to uh, Texas Tech, 14, Iowa State, 10. Your Red Raiders are bowling. And, man, it wasn't ugly, but they pulled it out. The, you know, Tyler Shuck tweeted after the game, shout-out to the defense, because a defense that has been – Maligned quite a bit this season, um, better than in years past, but definitely still struggling. And they're the ones that pulled this out, man. They get in a slugfest with an Iowa State team that definitely knows what a slugfest is. And when your offense isn't cooking, and you know Tyler Shuck's not clicking, and they're just it's just not getting things done, you know you're going to have to be in a brawl. And the defense pulled this one out, and you know they get it. They get a um, a late score from I think Baylor Cup was it. Um, yeah. And, you know, come out with a win. And you're going bowling, man. Joy McGuire in his first season. That's a huge, huge win, a huge moment for them.
1: Tyler Shutt, 3-0 and as a starter this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, leading them, leading them to six wins. They're they're all eligible. And I think the biggest narrative coming out of this game is that they're 4-4 and in Big 12 play. And they host Oklahoma mm-hmm. next week. And if they win that game, this will be the first time Texas Tech's been above 500 or even 500. 500 or above. Uh, since yeah. 2009 when Mike Leach was there you know that's three coaches ago mm-hmm. um, to do that in year one and with a pretty tough schedule a, a very hard out of conference schedule with Houston and North Carolina State um, impressive and they got a, or they got a road win we talked about it on the Wednesday show as a first year head coach you're just trying to check off accomplishments they were 0-4 mm-hmm. on the road going into that game that was their last road game uh, you don't want to go winless that first year because then you got to ask questions answer questions about like What's your routine like on the road? Do you need to mix things up? Why are you having so many problems on the road? Well, now you can go, well, you know, the four teams we lost to on the road were ranked when we played them. You know, when we played a a team that was similar to our competition, we won. We went on the road and beat Iowa State. So I think that's good for the psyche of the program. Um, This is not a game Texas Tech wins previously. Mm Mm-hmm right like they need to outscore people to win games most of the time. Tim Teodoro's come in there and made the defense probably the strength of the team at least over the last 6 weeks in Big 12 play. Yeah. The defense has been way more consistent than the offense. Not an impressive stat line for Tyler Shuck, not an impressive stat line for the running game, but zero turnovers. He did not throw an interception. And when you're going to play those kind of tight, low-scoring defensive games, if you can limit turnovers, punt the ball and, you know, rely on your defense. You can win football games on the road in the big 12. Iowa state's basically Iowa, you know, yeah. like that, that's who they are. They're not going to score many points. I think Texas tech knew going in there. If we could get to 17, we're going to win this game. If we get to 21. We may win by 10. And so they were playing that way. They were pretty conservative. And I was impressed that Zach Kittley could do that. You know, like I think sometimes yeah. you kind of can get a little bit ahead of your skis, you know, and be like, ah, you know, I've been reined in, I've been reined in, I've been reined in. And you, you know, you go and you got to call the shot play and sometimes you can get yourself in trouble he showed a lot of discipline yesterday. And that's how Texas Tech had to win that game. It was a good win uh, for Texas Tech. And and now you can go into the last game of the season against an Oklahoma team not needing to win that football game. If you win, that's sure. great. If you win, that's awesome. Uh but if you lose, it doesn't erase any positives from the season. They've gotten to six wins, they're gonna go bowling, the recruiting's going well. And so uh right now everything's you know rolling smoothly for our guy, Joey McGuire.
0: Yep. Um there's one more thing I wanted to mention. Matt. Oh so we talked about it a little bit in the previous show and if you can go seven wins in the regular season the year after you fire matt wells right a market a marked improvement from the year before that should i mean we knew that this was a long-term play and we knew that this was probably the right move moving on for matt wells but if you can have that tangible six improvement in year one right that's just says enough right there so um yeah that'll there's still to me there's still a lot to play for especially if you're joint maguire kind of validating your hire because if you just one more point if you
1: can win you can beat texas and oklahoma at home in your first year as a head coach in front of that the fan base or whatever you know they're gonna love you and and that matters a lot
2: two teams that are going to the sec
1: (laughs) exactly yep exactly that's a recruiting tool
0: right Yep. yeah okay mike craven we're gonna open up the wide zone and you said you watched this game because i certainly did
2: not congrats craven
0: texas ain't I'm a wide zone. <laughs> <laughs> Texas A&M twenty, UMass three. According to Twitter, every A&M fan I knew watching this game was miserable. Um, there, was no there, the, <laughs> there was no one there by halftime. There was no one there. There was nobody half-time. there at kickoff. There, I'm there about was there that, kickoff. No one there by kickoff.
2: <laughs> they um, announced
0: ninety thousand people. I saw that. It was like maybe nine hundred people there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Take away. Thank God zero. for the
0: season ticket sales. Um it was cold it was miserable it's an opponent you don't want to see you're not going bowling yeah uh, i don't know Twenty to three. i don't know what you see
1: <laughs> yeah i mean if anybody didn't see a&m was missing like 25 players it looked like that flu game a couple weeks ago yeah. when like travis brown mm-hmm. was like tweeting out it took two different tweets to like list how many people you know were out Right. Um, they've lost so many starters, especially on the offensive line, defensive line, to injuries or illness or suspension this year that they just—I don't even know if they've started the same group on either side of the ball once this year. Like it's—it's it's just been a rotation uh, on both lines of scrimmage. At one point, the students were doing a relay race around Kyle Field.
0: I did see that, and the you know, back. like
1: that's how that's how empty the stadium <laughs> was. You know, they were like running from section to section, handing off. I would assume a twelfth man towel, and and we're having some kind of race up there. Um, you know, this is what you get when you have an 11 o'clock kickoff when it's cold outside and you're playing a team that's one and nine, you know, and so yeah. uh, I guess it's good that they snap their six game losing streak. I mean, it's better than losing to UMass, right? If they lose to UMass. Uh, they probably do find $86 million buried somewhere. Uh, but none of it gave you any type of hope like it almost you almost watched it and I'm no am no AM fan or whatever, but you almost watched it like through your fingers like it was that like right. it was there was at one time. Uh, you know, Wigman tried to throw the ball and he never had the ball in his right hand. It didn't even fall out of his right hand. He didn't grab it out of his left hand to then throw, (laughs) like it stayed in his left hand. He went to throw it and dropped it out of his left. Like, you know, it it was just one of those games, you know? And it's just one of those seasons where it's over, it's done. You know, I'm worried about what they're going to look like next week against LSU. Um, But yeah, I mean, the running game, not all that great passing game, not all that great defense. You know, I mean, it's UMass. You know, so whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, it's just a program that's struggling. It's a program that doesn't have a lot of belief, in, and more than that, it just feels like a program that doesn't look like it's having any fun at all. Like mm-hmm. nobody seems to be having any fun. The coaches, the fans, the players, the recruits—none of it. There's no buzz around A&M, and which is crazy because eight months ago, all the buzz was around AM. Jimbo Fisher's, mm-hmm. you know, putting out diss tracks to Nick Saban. They're <laughs> signing the best recruiting class of all time. Um, you know, the fan base is just a hundred percent like, look at us. We're, you know, we're sixth in the nation. We're we're a year away from competing for a change. And it's all gone. You know, you go on Tech Sags right now and I mean it, it might as well be January sixth there. You know, like they're mm-hmm. they're they're going crazy over there. Yeah. so uh it, it's an ugly scene. And I I don't think it's going to get any better, even if they play well against LSU, which seems like an impossibility because I'm not sure this locker room cares anymore about this season. It's a matter of who's going to enter the transfer portal and who's not at this point.
0: Yeah, basically I agree. I think it just feels – I tweeted this last year and I got a lot of flack because it was around coaching school last summer. And it was after and had a decent recruiting – a good recruiting class, not the one they had this past offseason – but I basically, I think it was during when Jimbo was twenty twenty one during coaching school during that panel. And he said, I don't think that the quote itself isn't relevant, but I, I, what I kind of said was, he said the transfer portal isn't, I don't see the transfer portal as a, as a route to sustain success or something like that. And sure, fine. You can, you know, you can make that argument or whatever, but my tweet was, I don't know if Jimbo Fisher should be talking about sustained success based on his resume, right? And A&M fans lost their, you know what, at me, saying, what what do you mean? This is just a G5. Like, they brought up the fact that I was a Texas State student. You know, it was like, this is just jealousy, all this stuff. (laughs) And I'm like, guys, the one job that he had is is a crater at Florida State, right, despite having recruiting classes and a national title and all this stuff. And I'm not saying I expected it to happen at A&M, but I'm saying he doesn't he's not the one to be talking about that. And now, twelve months later, <laughs> AM is not looking like necessarily a crater, but it's getting there. It's 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 boring to the ground a little bit to where people are trying to figure out if there's a hundred oh close to hundred million dollars in available money to move on from this because like you said, no one looks like they're having fun. And there's not like Honor Wigman is like the little kernel of optimism that you have, right? Mm-hmm. And that's even that's not looking great. I don't know. He he looks good. I'm not saying that he looks fine, but like it's not he's not somebody that you're like, man, we, we got you know, we got we got the guy, right? He's not that nailed on thing right now. Um
2: it's crazy though when I you do say, talk yeah, to yeah. AM fans, like that is the only kind of hope that they have is Connor Wigman. Like you ask all of them and they they all sure. say the same exact thing.
0: Because I mean, they're not talking about that
2: recruiting class anymore.
0: No, well, wait, you're your yeah. your top recruit. David Hicks has taken a visit to Norman, Oklahoma, and that's Eugene, true. Oregon, the past two weeks. Right, he hasn't decommitted yet, but he's taking official visits still. That's not a good sign. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I,
1: your, your, I other best, no, your your other best commitment decommitted and probably going to commit to your rival that's joining the SEC and <laughs> uh, after twenty twenty three. So true, true. Uh, there's not
0: a there's not a single program that I can realistically say I have no idea what's going to happen in the next six months. Like there's not another, like I could speculate Texas State, I could speculate UNT, all the rice, all these other programs and maybe uncertain coaching. I have no idea what AM is gonna look like in six months. Roster wise, coaching wise, whatever. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're on the 24-7 talent composite AM is fourth. The top three teams have a combined three losses.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It's it's not great. Not great. And by the way, a- I love how A&M's we're talking got about this. Seven. After a w- after a win they won and we're just like yeah that was awful like we're just like this team is not yeah anyway um we'll have a bunch we'll have a whole season talk about this program all right moving on oh it's gonna be something UTSA 41 Rice 7 um
2: (laughs) I was I don't remember which game I was watching but I was sitting there and I was like oh yeah UTSA and Rice are playing I pulled it up but it was the end of the third quarter and it was 41-0 and
0: I was like oh shoot <laughs> I was like dang it that, Rice <laughs> that's just mean like UTSA has nothing to play right? <laughs> just like no we gotta we gotta rub some Rice's face in the dirt like <laughs> they really did <laughs> Frank Harris, Frank Harris is like yeah I'm gonna turn into a dual threat demon in this game and just like destroy this team three touchdowns on the ground two through the air he didn't even have to stretch his. He didn't even have to like warm up his arm. He just threw no. like a hundred, couple hundred yards, or not even a couple, just like one hundred yards, almost exactly. And Rice had no shot. That that was that was bad. We said Rice had, could only win this game one way, and it was close. And they probably couldn't pull it out. And UTSA is like, yeah, we're not going to worry about that. We're just going to we're just going to come out the gates firing.
1: Wiley Green, Wiley Green got the start, and Wiley Green didn't finish the game, and that feels like a unfortunate common thread uh, for Wiley Green. You just can't stay healthy, man. He just he yeah. just always gets banged up in games. Some of that's on the offensive line and just letting them yep. you know take hits. But you know, again, we're we're in another season where Rice is on their third string quarterback by the end of the year. You know, and you know they played four last year, they played three the year before, they played three the year before. I mean, it's been a common theme under Bloomgren. Um, and I don't know if it's unfortunate or if they're putting their quarterback at too much risk, you know, what it is there. Uh, but it's been I something I believe they're
0: that's... on four for this year too, right, total? Yeah.
1: They may be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they I may be. Uh,
2: at least they, had, they put three quarterbacks in last night, and TJ McMahon was not one of them. So, okay. yeah. So, um,
1: So like, they, you know, yeah, McMahon's out, you know, with injury. Yeah. And so um, it's just been a thing that, that's been a constant struggle for Rice during the Bloomgren era. Um, but... You know, as a UTSA grad, I, I tweeted that I lose so much money gambling on UTSA because I just in my head can't wrap it around how good UTSA is on just a weekend yeah. week out basis, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, well, they they've locked up Conference USA, you know, they play Rice and UTEP next week, maybe they rest some guys, maybe they're off, but you know, no, no you know frank harris takes like a second drive <laughs> runs 65 yards around the edge and just outruns everybody like he's still 18 but it's like three knee surgeries ago you know right. Frank's like just sprinting down the field um you know he needs a statue i was joking with trailer like we need to retire his number but he wears zero in that 210 you know yeah. toughness thing like i don't even know what we'd retire or whatever but he's unquestionably the best player in program history he's just a different dude man he's just he's just really good and yeah um, yeah, it's just you know now they they clinched home field advantage. You know it was pretty much locked up anyway. They would have had to lose their last two, but um, you know they clinched home field advantage for the second year in a row. Conference USA championship game. You know next week literally has nothing to play for, so we'll see if he rests some guys there before a uh, conference championship game against the North Texas team that had its bye this week. You know so they're <laughs> going to be a little bit rested. I, I would imagine they beat this Rice team pretty good next week there in Denton, um, and so. Yeah, I, I just think if it's UTSA, it's just kind of ho-hum, right? They're on a seven-game winning streak, eight-game winning streak, something like that, Seven and 0 8-0 in conference. And this is just what they do. They go and they win conference games. Kind of like Gilmer back in the day with Jeff Trailer. They got into district play and they just won. And they, yeah. they get conference play now and they just win. And they do it convincingly and they do it pretty easily. Um, and so another impressive performance yesterday by UTSA, especially the defense, I thought. Um, yep. You know, to, mm-hmm. to kind of stay engaged for that long, pitch a shutout for three quarters um they're playing their best football of the year and it's amazing to think about um, because they kind of survived that first three game window where they were injured everywhere you know the offensive lines beat up defenses beat up Rashad Wisdom their their senior leader in the secondary has been out for a couple weeks and they've only gotten better you know and that's Mm -hmm. coaching that's culture that's next man up stuff every coach says it but not every program believes it um UTSA is playing with a ton of belief right now and they're rowing in the same direction like TCU and UTSA are the only teams in this state with four or less losses. And, yeah. a, and some of that's talent, but a lot mm-hmm. of that is just belief in the locker room. We talked about it with TCU earlier. They're down eight with five minutes left to go. They miss a two-point conversion. They never stop believing. They they think they're going to go win that game. Um, UTSA is kind of in the same mode where every single week they wake up and they, they think they're going to go dominate these teams, and they do. And so um, I think it's the hardest thing to do in college football is win games consistently when you're supposed to against talent you're better than and UTSA doesn't lose those games, and that's a credit to Jeff Traylor and that staff.
0: Yep. 92-14 the past two weeks after wondering if this team was banged up, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. I so. know nothing. So. Yeah, exactly. We know absolutely nothing here. Um, next week is senior week, senior day, so I feel like, you know, we'll see, you know, depending on obviously what happens with Frank Harris if he decides to come back, but I presume we'll at least see them come out for a half right really you know you mentioned resting the starters i'm assuming jeff trailer will give those guys a good a good chunk of playing time at least in the first half hopefully by the second half they won't have to but um i know a lot of those guys he'll want to have uh he want to have their their swan song out there for especially for this season they put together so um moving on to houston 42 ecu 3 i mean craven was i simply is this the most impressive one win of the Dana Holgerson era it's not the I wouldn't say it's the biggest because of the lack of stakes kind of overall but is this the most impressive complete win because ECU I mentioned it a scary complete really talented program and Houston just came out offense defense just silenced this did not let them get in this game
1: yeah, it, it figures that Houston finally comes around as soon as I jump ship. You know, I've been holding on. Like, as it's been sinking, I've been, like, holding on to, like, the top corner, you know, trying to, like, hold on to my <laughs> Houston hype going before the year. And as soon as I take East Carolina in the points, they win by 39. So, um, <laughs> welcome to college football. You know, this is the first time they've holded, held an opponent under 20 points this year. I know yeah. that sounds crazy, but it's true. You know, mm-hmm. and so the defense finally came to play. You know, Clayton Toon's been playing pretty good since the bye sure. week. You know, yeah. they've been putting up points, they've been scoring 30 or more pretty much every week for two months. Uh now. Um, so the offense has been fine. it been the defense has been so awful. They've turned the ball over a few times, like in that SMU game. Uh, but they avoided all that, you know, and they played mm-hmm. a complete dominating game, offense, defense, special teams, four quarters. I think offensively what's really helped Houston is the emergence of Matthew Golden. We knew Mm -hmm. he was going to be good. He's a four-star guy that Holgerson was pretty adamant that they wouldn't have landed if not for the big 12 move. He, you know, he's from, Mm -hmm. I think Klein Oak somewhere around there. Um, And so he was a local guy that they convinced to stay home and he's given, he's provided an outside threat opposite of Nathaniel Dell. That's really unlocked this offense because now you can't just double and spy Nathaniel Dell with the safety over the top because Matthew Golden will kill you. If you, play a more honest defense. Now all of a sudden Nathaniel Dell's one-on-one in the slot and he's going to beat that guy. Like he's just he's an NFL player, he's going to beat that dude. And so the offense has kind of become, you know, honestly better as the injuries have happened, as the running backs have just gone down and gone down and they've gone, well, we're not going to be able to run the ball 30, 40 times a game. Let's put this on Clayton Tune. Uh they've gotten better, the offensive line has gotten better, but I think the biggest difference yesterday was that's the third ward defense under Doug Belk we thought we were going to see for most of the year. I, I know they mm-hmm. lost uh, Logan Parr, Marcus Jones, you know, some guys, um, you know, after, after Logan Hall. I'm sorry, not Logan Parr. That's a offensive lineman at Texas. But yeah. um, they lost some starters from last year. Um, you know, it had some injuries early in this year that, that lost some starters. Um, and yesterday was the first time it looked like a good, solid, sound defense. We joked in the middle of the week how sometimes that secondary can be the Spider-Man meme. Where a guy goes into the end zone and you got a safety pointing at a corner and a corner pointing at a safety, like whose guy is that? There was much better mm-hmm. communication in the back end. The defensive line was really good. The linebackers were good. So yeah, I mean, I would have to go back and look to see if there was another. I, I think dominance, probably the best way to put that. That was the most sure, dominant sure. win, complete uh, of yes, the most complete win uh, of Holgerson's era. Um, and so I think it's big for that locker room because you risk losing them going into the big 12 you risk kind of the sky is falling mentality happening around you a 42 to3 win over a pretty good East Carolina team can kind of quiet some of that I believe
0: mm-hmm. uh, looking on looking on Twitter Joseph Duarte did tweet that did, in the press conference Dan Holgerson said this was a game I didn't know if I would see this season you know straight right. up and he's you know we mentioned how he how very blunt of a head coach he is right so for him to say that It's pretty telling, right? He did not know if his team had this this season. And um, I think it's a good if you can end the year, I'm not saying with this kind of dominant win, you know, going out. But if you can win the year, if you can win out through the year and just kind of end on a positive note, right? It was such a lackluster, uh, deflating year. There's still there's there is some optimism and room for optimism heading into the Big 12. So I think this kind of win is like a nice little nugget to be like, look, there was some reason to be optimistic about this program heading into the year moving on texas 55 kansas 14 quinn Ewers did not have to even sweat because Bijan robinson did all 239 the work <laughs> career yeah 239 24 carries four touchdowns career highs all around jonathan brooks had over 100 yards on the ground and look i'm not saying we got to treat quinn Ewers like you know trent dilfer but when your running game is running, is, is working, you don't have to get cute. And Steve Sarkeesian said, you know what? You're, you're right. It's fine. We're just going to run the ball 30, 40 times. And by the end of the game, uh, uh, Kyle Flood was calling plays, I saw, um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, 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 I forgot who uh, – just, not Justin Wells. Um, Cook, Joe Cook tweeted that he doesn't think it was like a a, a personnel thing as opposed to, hey – here get some coach get some like play calling experience for Kyle Flood. Um so he doesn't think it was like Sark giving up the playbook or whatever, but it was like we're we're in the we're in the lead, take the playbook, you know, well you, you got this. Um but I thought that was interesting to add just another wrinkle and add another option of play calling potentially in the future. But regardless, keep it simple man. Uh, craven you put in your, your 10 thoughts keep it simple and they came out with a damn good win over a team that I don't want to say was Sneaky good. Kansas is just good this year, but they, Jalen Daniels came out and started. Fans were excited, all that stuff. And Texas just put that to bed. Yeah. I
1: mean, the Kansas defense is really bad. You know, they rank in like the hundredth and like mm-hmm. essentially every single defensive category that you could care about. And so mm-hmm. this was a game where if Bajan didn't touch the ball 20 plus times, like there's a crime against humanity. And so, <laughs> You know, you sometimes you just got to keep it simple. You know, and and so it's just keep it simple, Sark. Like last week, Mm -hmm. they ran the ball twenty-two times for twenty-eight yards. You know, this week they ran the ball fifty-seven times for four hundred twenty-seven yards and six (laughs) touchdowns. Uh, Yeah, the Mister Texas football is pretty good. Uh, John yeah. Brooks mm-hmm. pretty awesome that I don't know if y'all saw that touchdown run but he yeah. ran through two dudes and it then exploded awesome. down the field like Rashawn Johnson I think the bad news for Texas yesterday is Rashawn Johnson was in a walking boot by the end of the game
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And
1: that's one of their leaders and that's one of their best running backs but when you have Jaden Blue and Jonathan Brooks just chilling over there and then you
0: have uh, cj baxter a five-star coming in yeah. as a freshman next but year
1: <laughs> running backs running back room is going to be okay without Bijan mm-hmm. and Rashawn, uh, which is crazy to think about you know just how good that they've been able to run that out but you know you just look at this box score and i was able to listen to it on my way back you know listen to craig way on the way back from waco driving to austin and um you know you look at it and yours only has to throw 22 passes and that's exactly the formula you want and it feels mm-hmm. like Sark is fine, like Sark finally figured that out. And I don't I hope it's not just because it, it was the way Kansas plays defense. And he goes, yeah. Oh, we can game plan this. This is the best way to go about it. Like, even against a good team, like even next week against Baylor, run no. the football. Even if it doesn't work the first time or the fifth time or the twelfth time, keep doing it because they the dam will break. Bajan will take over this game. Uh, he did it from the very beginning yesterday. He's a joy to watch. Texas fans, you only get two, maybe three more. Of these in the Bijan Robinson era, he went over three thousand yards for his career, only the seventh running back ever uh, for Texas to do that. And so, you know, mm-hmm. for me, that was the biggest takeaway from yesterday. Is there's a, you don't get to just watch greatness all the time. Mm-hmm. and Sometimes you just got to appreciate it. And twenty years ago, bajon Robinson would be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Right? This football's yep. changed to where we don't appreciate running backs in the same way. But he's awesome, man. There's still nothing better to watch in football than a dominant running back. It's just fun to watch. Like there's just something, I don't know, Neanderthal about it, right? Like we want this to be a war game, and sometimes with the passing and stuff, it it looks more like basketball. But when a dude just like has that kind of balance and speed and power, it's graceful. Like it's like watching a ballerina on steroids. You know, like Mm -hmm. he's just awesome. And uh, it's fun to watch. That defense has been really good. It's the best defense for Texas since 2009. Um, and so they, they've they been really good as a scoring defense. So uh, impressive for Texas. But, you know, I, I'd ask you all this. Mm-hmm. Does, a, does a performance like that make you happy or more frustrated as a Texas fan? Because to me, as kind of a pseudo Texas fan who grew up around this program that just can't shake the burnt orange love, you know, as much mm-hmm. as I try. It's those kind of performance yesterdays that that makes me more frustrated.
2: It's like you're gonna be do- this, doing this, yeah, all right. along. It's like that. Look at the, all that talent. It took you this long like, yeah. to figure it out. Yeah.
1: Like it's oozing. It's like oozing out of your pores and like just just go dominate teams. Just go beat teams, right? Like, and Texas doesn't do it, and they do it every now and then, and you're like, there it is. Like mm-hmm. that. That is what it should look like on a pretty. I know you can't beat teams like that every single week, but you should sure. look that you're more talented. Just mm-hmm. go step on dudes' throats. And they don't do that enough, so when they do it, it's like, man, why why can't this happen 10 times a year like it used to? Yeah,
0: I do wonder, to answer that question, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I just wonder, because we talked about the whole play designer versus play caller thing with Steve Sarkeesian, and I think we attribute a lot of the Nick Saban, uh, you know, the Nick Saban coach's school for wayward kids or whatever we like to call it, Alabama, Um, we like to attribute everything to like Lane Kiffin, right? It's like Lane Kiffin, he was one thing. He was not a good head coach, goes to Nick Saban. All of a sudden, FAU and Ole Miss are awesome, and he's probably going to get the Auburn job and all that stuff. I don't know if he changes necessarily your ability as a head coach that much. I think we're seeing it a little bit with Mike Loxley at at Maryland, right? He was a bad head coach. Now he looks like a pretty okay head coach. Steve Sarkeesian at Washington – And I know Washington wasn't exactly a glimmering program when he took over, but he was a 500 coach at Washington, right? At USC, obviously, things ended the way they did there, but he was 3-2 and that year before he had to leave. I
1: mean, they call him 7-win Sark out there.
0: Right. And so, like, I'm not saying he's going to win seven – you know, his ceiling is seven wins, but I do wonder – if there is a little bit of a cap on what he because again USC was it was not the USC that Lincoln Riley had to go rebuild right USC was supposed was supposedly USC right it was I think he was uh literally the next was he right after Pete Carroll or did they have somebody else was it Lane Kiffin i couldn't remember but regardless they were still like they're coming off the Matt Barkley years and like they were still very much USC in terms of recruiting i just wonder and again, he could absolutely prove me wrong next year if they live up to the hype because the talent is, is is absolutely, like you mentioned, just all there. But I can't shake the feeling that like, do we just assume that these coaches in particular, not just to pick on him, but just like these Nick Saban coaches after the fact are just going to blossom into Kirby Smart, right? And I don't know that because like, I agree with you. I'm frustrated watching that game yesterday saying like, where was that this whole time? And that's why I went back and looked at his Washington tenure and his USC tenure before he had to obviously step down. But it's just like there's just a nagging thing with me where it's like his record versus winning teams, his record in close game, like it's consistent, right? Looking back at that USC year in, in uh, 2015, they had lost to both ranked teams that they played before he had to step down, right? Utah and I think it was Stanford. And so it's like, can you? is he a coach that can – coach with or out coach his peers, not not just play call, but just coach, right? Both sides of the ball game plan. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's something to watch going forward because I agree with you. This, this type of performance, this type of game should have been (laughs) the standard. Not, not, like you mentioned, not necessarily winning like this, but like performing like this and seeing this. And we're basically basing this entire season off of a good loss against Bama, right? (laughs) Yeah, so um by the way, Bijan Robinson sneakily has a chance, outside chance of two thousand yards. He's at fourteen hundred right now. They play Baylor next weekend, they could make the Big Twelve title game and they have a bowl game. So he has three potential shots. I'm a i I'm expecting him to go off in that bowl game if he plays. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Play.
1: Yeah, I mean it, if I, I don't think he's gonna
0: Right. If <laughs> if if they make the big twelve title game, if they were this is all ifs, right? Um and he can make a New Year six and kind of have a nice little going out party, maybe. I don't know. That's the only shot. He's not playing the out of the bowl. Let's put it that way. Um, right. But if they make a New Year six and he can have like a nice little showing, right? He has an outside shot, right? It's still a long shot, 600 yards away. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, it's I, been a quietly great year for him to me. If...
1: If I'm a Texas fan, I'm moving with the assumption that next week against Baylor is the last time John Robinson puts on Burn orange. You know, unless sure, Kansas State right. loses and yeah. they make the Big Twelve title game, like you say, he's not going to play in the Alamo Bowl, and he shouldn't. Yeah, uh, no, I was about to say, no,
0: absolutely not. Yeah,
1: and so and, you know, that, and even that if they Baylor make even if they
0: make a New Year six, he should play if he wants to play. Yeah, right? like he, he, right. he's he's somebody who may want to play because obviously he wants he probably want that chance to play in a big high stakes bowl game but right. he shouldn't yeah you shouldn't expect him to play if they make it just because for all the talk about man they're not using Bijan enough he's still sitting at 1400 yards on the ground yeah, he's awesome. like he's, he's awesome. so good so good all right last one texas state 16 arkansas state 13 seth Keller, two more sorry oops i'm anyway um let's talk yeah, about this one anyway
1: don't skip my UTEP minors
0: well, we'll save them for last now, okay? Uh, Texas State 16. Ish was just so State excited 13. to talk about Texas Steph State. Ki- I really was, I'm really not <laughs> 16 to
2: 13, um, baby. Let's go,
0: Seth <laughs> Keller, game winner. Um, I don't know, I good job. <laughs> That's all I got, I, man. I thought That's it was a, a pretty win. impressive yeah. win,
1: you know, like, um, the defense continues to be dominant. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that defense has been the best scoring defense in the G five ranks in the state this year. Like they've been a seven, eight win defense. You know, like the defense deserves better uh than yeah. what's going on right now. But what I thought was impressive about yesterday is you know, the weather's bad. Um, the focus is on the 40 year anniversary of the 82 national championship team. The crowd's not huge for obvious reasons. You know, one's mm-hmm. weather, one's seven losses. Um, it would have been very easy for that coaching staff and those players to touch kind of fold up mm-hmm. and they didn't they went out yeah. and played played a good game arkansas state comes and ties it at 13 you know with only a, a minute and a half two minutes left to go um and texas state's offense immediately goes right down the field gets into field goal position and, and makes the game winner and so um i i think you know we talk about this sometimes on the show where you know college football can be looked at in the prism of you're either really good or you stink and, mm-hmm. you know, Texas right. State, like it's not all wins and losses, you know, like some of this is about like, w- you know, growing up young people and, sure. you know, to deal with that kind of adversity. I mean, because everybody in the world has been talking about how, you know, Jake Spavadol is not going to be there next year. You know, it's on, you know, every podcast, ours, we're writing about it. We're talking about it because everybody's whispering and we're talk and like that gets into locker rooms. Like the players aren't immune mm-hmm. to that stuff. They hear that stuff. They, they know they have family. They have friends that are asking about that. And, you know, it can get really easy to just quit you know, and to not care. And it seemed like a team and a group that still cared and still was playing for their coaches and and playing for their school and and playing for the name on the back and on the front. And so, you know, I think that's commendable. I I think that's something that we should, um, you know, praise because it doesn't happen everywhere. And and this generation gets knocked for not being tough and not dealing with adversity and, and full and that's not what happened yesterday. And so, you know, good on Texas state, good on that coaching staff for keeping everybody together and to keep playing hard, you know, Jake's Spav- or you know, uh, one of, one of them, had, I think you sent me a tweet, you know, where one of them yeah. kind, of, kind of mentioned that, you know, where it's like the outside noise can get really heavy and, and you know, I'm proud of these guys for going out there and playing really hard. And I think that's a positive deal. Even if Spav's not there next year, there's sure. going to be a lot of guys that are, you know, and, and uh, whoever that new coach is knows he's going to inherit a locker room with dudes that will go out there and keep fighting. And that's a good thing for this program.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that the cryptic tweet you're mentioning was from Zach Spavadal, um the defensive coordinator, who <clears throat> I'm just, I'll just read a little bit of it because um, it was a very blatant subtweet. Uh, so this is from his, it was a little notes app drop on Twitter. Uh, after the game, he said, I don't have much time to tweet or soul search during the season. But I need to shout out our players tonight. Extremely proud to coach them and can't thank them enough for the work they have done. Sometimes in life, outside noise can be very loud. They haven't listened and continue to play for the right reasons. Best defense at this level the school has seen. One, not wrong, right? It's been very good. But that certain phrase, right? Soul search. Of course, okay. we talked about President Kelly Dampfus uh, tweeting a couple weeks ago, Where this week it's time for soul searching. Um, you know, there is some animosity there. I do know for a fact that a lot of players and coaches were not happy with that tweet that he sent out. Um, I can very much confirm that. So that and that that subtweet more or less confirms that as well. So they're playing for each other, like you mentioned. They are kind of like insulating themselves and say, "Let's just blinders on, get this into the season. And we'll see what happens. Happens um, at this point." So, commending definitely uh, uh, commendable for them. All right, let's get to the actual last game. UTEP 40, FIU 6. We were pretty wor- sneakily worried about this game because uh, FIU, of course, still has a lot to play for. They could make a bowl game in, in Mike McIntyre's first year. UTEP still desperately clinging to bowl hopes as well. They needed this game. They need a win out, and they got a dominant effort in FIU did not – I mean, they basically just shut down a young FIU team where at the beginning of the year you would have said UTEP should be able to beat a team like this exactly like this, and that is exactly what happened. Calvin Brownholtz got the start. He was fine. They just controlled the game. They just shut them down defensively. This was a little bit of the UTEP defense we expected to see where they're just absolutely sitting on a game, forcing a couple turnovers, and Grayson James never looked comfortable. Good job. Like now now you set up a huge game and a huge – you know. Against the UTSA team, which again we'll see how they come out, but theoretically has "quote unquote" nothing to play for next week, and you have a lot to play for. Mm-hmm. In your UTEP.
1: I think this UTEP offense looks better with Calvin Brownholtz leading it. You know, they
0: certainly like they're they're because he's a dual threat, and they can call. I think it's, it's definitely more creative, right? With yeah. with Gavin Hardison, you kind of, I mean, we mentioned it. You know what it is, yeah. right? It's a downfield vertical. Play action, you know things like kind of like that. Explosive offense uh, uh, in one way. Calvin Brown holds, yeah. It's 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 balanced. They can have a running threat more consistently instead of just pounding Ronald A. Watt or Deion Hankins into eight man boxes every time.
1: I think he's better at the short intermediate throws as well. At least more consistent. (laughs) You know, doesn't have the vertical big arm. um, Mm -hmm. You know that Hardison does, but I think he's just a more controlled uh, passer, and he, he he gives them a power running game. Um, That Hardison doesn't. You look, I mean, we talked about it all year, right? Just like run the rock. And then you look at this thing and it's, you know, they throw 18 passes. They run the ball 61 times. They had three running backs with at least 13 carries, you know. Um, Flores had 13 for 128, AWAT 17 for 84, Hankins 14 for 81. Like that's it. That's the recipe. Um, Run the ball, play good defense. They did both of those things. Coming off of a bye at home you'd imagine that's the performance that you get good on them and you know now i mean on paper they're definitely the underdog at utsa Mm -hmm. but there there's a there's something you can follow here because last year utsa was in this exact same position Mm -hmm. against a five and six team the week before a conference championship game and they got blown out by north texas
0: a team playing for their coach's job potentially
1: playing for a coach's job and playing the type of way that you run the ball 61 times (laughs) right right right. and so utep i think they can pull from that you know like hey utsa doesn't have anything to play for they're they're wanting to get out of this game let's give them a reason let's get up 14 17 now let's punch them in the mouth and see if they're willing to to exchange fire there and so i think if utep you got plenty to play for that's the type of performance that will make everybody believe Um, and now you go and you you basically play in a playoff game, you know, against maybe the future conference champion. You can do a lot of stuff here, so that's a big win for UTEP because if you lose that game, you know, now you got nothing to play for next week. Now the fan base is on you for losing to FIU, your locker room gets a little sketchy. Um, but you go and you dominate, now you still got everything to play for, and it basically becomes a bowl game in San Antonio for the Miners. And if they can go pull that upset. You know, they're back to back bowl games for only the second time this century, only the third time as a football program. Like we got to remember who we're talking about. Here. This is UTEP. Yeah. you know, getting to five wins is a good thing for UTEP. We're three or four seasons away from winless one win, one win, you know. And so, um, you know, these are the good times. This is a good thing that's happening for UTEP to have to play an important game after Thanksgiving is not a given for the UTEP minors. And for most mm-hmm. of my lifetime, it has not been the case. And so for Dana Dimmel, back-to-back, to to be playing important, meaningful games at this time of year is a sign to me that UTEP football is moving in a competent direction. And when Conference USA gets a little bit more easy, as these teams kind of cycle out, you know, UTEP looks like a program that could get to six, seven, eight wins on a year-in, year-out basis and eventually compete for maybe conference championships.
0: Yep. I was going to say, the first step with UTEP is stop. It's basically like... It's not the same exact thing, but it's basically like Kansas, right? The first step is stop being a doormat, right? That's the very first step when you take over UTEP is you cannot be an automatic win. Dana Dimmel is past that point now. Now it's like, okay, now can we be a team that people consistently hate playing against? They're getting to that point. And if they can take that next step, like you mentioned, back-to-back bowl games, okay, now that is definitely a trajectory and there's definitely tangible improvement over your tenure to be like, look, now we're getting to a spot where they're stable. We're entering a new conference or new new conference look um, environment, I should say, and we can be a player in this conference going forward. So I agree. Next week is a huge moment to play for, and like you said, we've seen UTSA stumble a little bit when they kind of have things locked up and things kind of ready to play for um, down the line and looking ahead a little bit. So, all right, that'll do it for us. So yeah, a lot of blowouts. Um but some most of them good, so that's a good thing. Um and of course, Adam played a game. So there's that. Uh, that'll do it. We, uh, oh,
1: guys, yeah. before we go. Yes. We only have one more of these to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and then we'll Man. do our uh <clears throat> we'll do our bowl preview as well, our bowl prediction show.
1: Yeah, I just mean, like, we only got one more week of, of college regular football, season. like a full yeah. slate of regular season college football games. Um, the
0: marathon's almost over.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, it's
0: like... It's gone as quick as it came.
2: I know.
1: Early in the year, I'm 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 anticipating everything. I'm super excited. Middle of the year, yeah. I'm overwhelmed and tired and just want it all to go away so I can go to sleep. And then this time of year, it's like, oh, man. Like,
0: yeah, it's
1: almost gone. It's going to be gone well, for a whole year. And then, like,
0: some... If we just talked, we're talking, still talking about teams. Where we're like, I don't know what they are yet. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Dana, that. That.
1: Dana Holgerson <laughs> didn't even know he could get this type of performance, you know, and he's around him every day, you know, and yeah. so like, it's just, it's been a weird year in the state, honestly, to it's, it's oh, yeah. average teams, two really good teams. And then a bunch of average teams and then no really bad team.
0: No, mm-hmm. like, I was gonna say like so Texas at least State, was...
1: UTEP's as bad as it gets, and they're. I was you know, about to say, and the defense
0: wins. is good for Texas State at least. Like, yeah. they're little kernels of yeah, little kernels of quality all the way around. So, I think man, we yeah, we were optimistic.
2: Came... We were also optimistic about every every single team at least having a chance for to get to six wins to make a bowl game too. There sure wasn't did. a team that we were like beginning of the season absolutely not not going to get to a bowl game. You know, and, right. that's and good next
1: point. and next week. 11 of the 12 are still alive or already qualified for bowl games. And so mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. Uh, yep. it's been a, it's been a weird year in the state, like a yep. good year, but not a great year. Like it's just been, it's been different. It's been a different type yep. of season.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So we'll be back for our last Sunday recap next week, but of course we'll have our Tuesday or actually, I don't know. Are we doing it on Wednesday? It's Thanksgiving. We'll decide that. I don't yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. We'll figure that out. Regardless, we'll be back Sunday, next Sunday, for our last recap episode. With that being said, we've interviewed 12 of the eventual 13 FPS head coaches. Jimbo Fisher, you have no fans to mingle with, so give us a call back, uh, at least based off of that game in Kyle Field. Uh, well, I don't know. According to them, they had 90,000 people there for him to talk to, so we'll see. Um, yeah, they'll we'll talk see. to
1: him. He just may not like the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> everybody will talk to him then um as usual even though they lost 55 to 10 Penn State go Rutgers